gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Devil's Due. Court is now in session. I am your host, Carl Duty. With me, as always, is the man who the Empire will compensate me for if he does not survive the carbon freezing process, Mr. Drew Celestino. Did that work out for Boba Fett or did it not? Uh, I think it were, he got paid by Jabba. He delivered the goods. I, he did. He, he did. He paid by Jabba. You'd think, but he was still hanging around the place after the fact. Well, like, that's probably where he picks up jobs from. All right, fair and enough. It's a pretty, you know, hopping party always going on in Jabba's, Jabba's Palace. This is true. Always got, like, dancers and drinks being served and everything. People occasionally getting thrown at the beasts. Max Rebo's hanging around. Max Rebo. Dude can play. Uh, I, you know what? I, I've said it for one other man on the show. I will say it for Max Rebo. Max Rebo is the truth. <laughs> He's in good company with Shinsuke. Exactly. Um, Shinsuke! Did, did Max Rebo survive the, uh, the, the, the uh, explosion? I don't believe so, because they clearly Aww. showed him on the sail barge. And Max Rebo, where, whereas he can play an awesome circular encompassing keyboard, does, if I remember correctly, because I had the action figure, is not the most fleet of foot. I think that's kind of messed up, uh, man. Like, yeah, well, he, yeah. All he would, I don't know. I don't, again, I don't know the ins and outs of, of uh, his business or anything. Maybe he was into some illicit things, but... As a musician, I will tell you, sometimes you just take a gig. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't ask for that. It's like it's like the aluminum ciders and contractors that were on the Death Star. Sometimes you eat the bar, and sometimes the bar eats you. Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> but, you, but you, sir, don't have Sam Elliott's mustache or baritone I gravitas. So I don't. I do not. You need to smoke a few, a few more packs of cigarettes a day to get that Which going Which I'm on. not going to do. Okay, so. no, no. So how you doing, sir? How was your week? Good. Uh, week was good. Um, fairly tame and uneventful. All right. Good to hear. <laughs> um, the CWC, that's the Cruiserweight Classic to you layman out there, uh, finished up this week, and it was sweet. I, I Did not go the way people expected it to go, I guess, but uh, I thought it was great. Um, depends on what side of the fence you're on, I guess. For you personally, was it good or bad? Um, I thought it was great. Um, I... I'm not going to say that I had it spoiled for me because it was live, Yeah. but I kind of knew out of the final four who was signing with the company and who was not. And based on who was signing and who was not, I could extrapolate who was going to make it, who was going to win and who was not going to win. But even, even kind of knowing that in the back of my head, uh, they, they, they curveball. They, 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 surprising finish, but, but good. Awesome. Quality, quality work rate, quality performances all around. Uh, the Cruiserweight Classic was elite and uh I, wwe should should package it into a leather bound collection and sell <laughs> it with a with a book that that talks about it and it should be cherished as a very it, it's a i can't believe they they produced that this this thing it's amazing nice. and they they did a good job and i as a, one of wwe's biggest critics i will tell them you did a good job don't uh, don't screw this up. Do it again next year. Don't screw up a good thing. Do it slow. <laughs> do it. Do it slow. Yeah. So anyway, um, oh that, and then uh, last night I watched the uh, the comedy show that was the the, the football game. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not sure if you know this or not, Carl, but I'm something of a um, I wouldn't call myself a Bills fan. I'm more of a Bills cynic. So I approach yep, every game like a comedy. And I'm never disappointed. I I am a Buffalo Bills fan. I will be bleed Buffalo blue, both Bills and Sabres till the day I die. But 
I'm also a realist, and the Bills are just god-awful. And they're just not a well-run organization, because today, Bills scored what, 31 points last yeah, night? Yeah. 31 points last night, which in most NFL games will win you the game. Yes. Unless you're the Buffalo Bills. Yes. So today, we fire our... Not our defensive coordinator. We fire our offensive coordinator. But to be fair, hashtag because Buffalo logic. It's it's stupid and it's a very it's it's so Bills. Um, at the same time, uh, the offense couldn't sustain a drive to save its life in the game last night, so something had to give. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to get into a football yeah. analysis, but my, my advice to you, come to my side of the fence. <laughs> it's way more fun. You can enjoy the good times when they're legitimately good, but. Rather than rather, that rather doesn't hurt as much. Not at doesn't all, actually. Sting. No, it's 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 <laughs> amusing and it's fantastic, especially when you can rile up other people very easily just by kind of poking them. Yeah. No, I'm a realist about my bills. I know they're terrible, and they're probably going to be terrible for a very long time. Is it wrong if I actually kind of enjoy when they're bad more than they're good? Um, I get more entertainment. Wrong? I, I get know. more entertainment value out of it. I would. As long as you have the desire for them to be good. I would like that. But in the meantime, All right. I'm having a good time <laughs> watching the ship go down. Yeah, it does get to a point where you just got to sit back and laugh at it. Yeah, that's how That's how, That's how. how. You I, also had a big thing happen this week. I did? Uh, your band, The Long Cold Dark, what do we is do? up for an award. Oh. As you posted. Yeah, yeah, we're we're up for... Uh, Give th- the people the info so that they can go vote for your band, sir. Um, There's a... a, a, a a blog uh, locally called The Metal, and they are welcome to the metal.blogspot.com. I think I got that right. I really hope so. Um, just go on Facebook and look for The Metal Blog. Um, anyway, they're, uh, they are uh, Mike and Vic and company. They do a great job um, promoting and supporting uh, local metal bands, and um, they are doing their first ever awards for, you know, the metal for local Buffalo metal. And uh, the category that the Lonco Dark is currently up for is best release of 2016. So All right. if you uh, would uh, go ahead on to log on to the metals blog and uh, vote for the Lonco Dark uh, while you can. Actually, by the time this episode of this fine podcast goes up, voting might be closed for that. But but keep an eye out because we might be up for other stuff. I can't I, guarantee. I will make sure to post that on the, the fan page. Thank you, sir. After we finish tonight. There will be uh, like two categories a week I think they're doing. So cool. right now, uh, release of the year is uh, one of them, and we're up for it. So we got some really good competition because um, there's a lot of great bands in town, and I'm friends with like almost all of them. So um, I'm certainly not going to pretend that I'm better than anybody. But I would appreciate your vote. So there you go. <laughs> That's all. All right. It's a, it's a humble request. Okay. I, I have already voted for you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. That's yeah. it. Cool. What's going on with you? What'd you do? Uh, nice week. Nice week. Nice week. Oh, I had only wow. one work day this week. Been, have been off since Tuesday. And you, uh, and, and you and Julie have not killed each other yet. No. No, come close a couple times. <laughs> I saw her coming at, with, at me with a blade. Ah. She telegraphs her, her thrusts, so it's very easy, easy to parry. Phrasing, but okay. Well, it would be phrasing if I telegraph my thrusts. Hey, man, whatever floats your boat. I'm not just, <laughs> this is a no-judgment studio. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was really nice. We took the, the week off for her birthday, which was yesterday. Happy birthday again, honey, because I love you. Uh, we spent the day traveling around. We went to Niagara Falls and went out and had a nice breakfast, had a nice, uh, 
uh, dinner at my mom's house the night before. Um, so that was fun. We uh, we watched Civil War last night. I keep again. forgetting to go buy it. I'm yeah. uh, I'm terrible. I'm a I'm a terrible person. I had a very different reaction to seeing it this time around. Uh oh. Because the first time around, like the big airport fight. Yeah. Like, this is so awesome. Sure. This is so great. This time around, I'm like, no, no, stop fighting, yeah. guys. Come on. Yeah. Come on, just talk. Yeah. Just stop. That's kind of how I felt when I read Civil War when it came out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway. But yeah, we did that, and we've been binging uh, the first season of Supergirl this week. Oh, okay. Which is, I know you're not a fan of 95% of I've never DC watched stuff. the show. I couldn't tell you. It's so good. That's what I hear, but it's, I'm... It's everything. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Supergirl television series, as series is everything Man of Steel should have been. Well, maybe with Jeff Johns in charge now, they can fix it's, that. It's bright, it's hopeful, it's enjoyable. It's done by the same production team that does like Arrow, Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow over on the CW. Mm-hmm. So uh, Andrew Kreisberg, the producer, says that when they approach their show, they follow a mantra of three H's. Humor, heart, and heroics. See, if an episode, they want to make Can they sure promote that-, that guy to like... Exactly. Yeah. And that's what each show has. This this sounds this sounds like a Martian radical concept Man for WB. Hunter is on the show. Wow, he's like a regular character on the show, and he looks fantastic. But but David Goyer said he's lame, and that if I know who he is, I should move out of my basement or my parents' basement. Well, David Goyer's not very smart. No, he's like, not. They just did an episode with Red Crypt tonight. They're introducing Project Cadmus. They're just taking everything off the page. And this year, it's going to be on CW, which is where it should have been from the beginning. And I guess we're going to have Superman on the, the first the season premiere. Yeah. Yeah. He, he don't look good. Looks better than the <sighs> movie costume. Yeah. Yeah, remember, man, television budget. It's and not, not like, just the costume, though. Like, like, I mean, the budget. guy, like... He looks a little disheveled. He looks fine. Not quite well, Superman material. Listen, I'm sure it'll be fine. Like, you know, come on. I'm sure. There was an episode she went to the Fortress of Solitude, and there was a Legion of Superhero ring there. They just, like, show it. They give it, like, they're, like, just showing it. That's I'm like, deep. That's a freaking Legion of Superhero ring. Wow. So, yeah, we've been doing that. really enjoying it. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much our week up to the point. So, yeah. Yay. Cool. Awesome. Hey. Welcome, everyone, to the show. We got a first this week on Devil's D. We're going to have a guest on the show uh, momentarily after we we go through our normal stuffs. Uh, We're going to have Mr. Brian Stone to promote his fighting game tournament, Rumble and Tundra, and just talk about the the fighting game community as a whole. Uh, You're probably saying, what does that have to do with Daredevil? Well, Daredevil's a fighter. (laughs) That's a reach, but okay, we'll go with it. So he likes, you know, Daredevil's a fighter. This is stuff about fighting. Uh, Drew and I have never shied away from indulging our passions on this show. That is right. And so this is one thing where fighting game community is a passion of mine, and any chance I have to help that out, I'm definitely going to. Drew, maybe one day you're going to have to have your band on the show. Um, you do an acoustic Sure. Set. Oh, no, that would not work out <laughs> well at all. <laughs> yeah, we could have them on if so, they partake. Dear listeners, if there's anyone you'd like us to have on the show, 
realistically yeah realistically or anything you'd like us to do on the show or if you have any questions to ask as we do have again this week not as not as meaty as last week okay not the the bag is not as deep as last week but we still got some good quality questions all right if you would like to reach out to us and communicate with us we encourage you to please do so you can do so on twitter at devil's do pod you can go to facebook.com slash devil's do or you could just search the devil's do on facebook or you can email us at devil, pod at gmail.com. And Drew? Yes. We got some listener questions. Okay. I like these. Okay. Going in order of which we received them, we have a question from Miss Julie Duty. Oh, okay. She kind of scaled down her question this week. All right. It's not like a four-part question. With, Understood. You know, subsections and sublines in this section. So I can put the protractor away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, guys, what Daredevil character would you cosplay and why? Ooh. Um, Well, Matt Murdock is a nice, easy, casual cosplay. Put a suit on, pair of red glasses, and walk around with a stick, and you're you're, you're, you're pretty good. Um, Doing the full costume is is a mixed bag. He's... A little more elaborate, although uh, my friend Troy did a great job um, at last year's Buffalo Comic Con. Yeah, yeah, he was the proto Daredevil. Yeah, proto Daredevil looked look really good. Did a solid. Um, who would I cosplay as? Um, I mean, I would I would try to do a modern, tactical, practical interpretation of Bullseye. Okay, with mask. But the rest, not just a black bodysuit, like I'd come up with some kind of modern take on that. Some kind of, you know, jumpsuit with with pouches and and I'd lie felt it by by like 35 percent. Yeah. Would you also rustify it by 10 percent? No. Okay. No. Just check. No, we're not putrefying him. Um, as far as myself, I mean, let's be honest, look at me, body shape, whatnot. <laughs> There's really only one character I can cosplay as. I would probably just shave the head and uh, go, go, full, go, go full fisk. Go the full fisk. Oh. Um, ascot or no ascot? Being a Spider-Man fan, and that's where the character originated from, ascot. I would have to do the white jacket with purple pinstripe pants yes. and the ascot with the cane with the diamond on I like it. all of this. In fact, no, I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I shaved my head once. And I did look very much like Kingpin before I lost some weight. So, okay. Now, normally I do these in order of how we receive them, in which case if I did it, the next one up would be Jay Gelsomino. I think Jay has a special place in our hearts. Jay was the first one ever to (laughs) send in a question. We we saved Jay for last. Which brings us to Mr. Alan Waiters. Yeah, Alan. Alan's nice and punctual getting his question two hours before the show. And Alan also being very current with his news, helping us out a bit today. Okay. The rumors are that Brian Cranston wants to play Mr. Sinister for Wolverine three. Do you think they will write a good script for him to do the villain justice? It's Fox. So no, but Brian Cranston can elevate just about anything. Yeah, I think Brian Cranston as Mister Sinister would be awesome. Uh, I my- don't see him in a in a in a, in a bodysuit with with a, with a with a a, a a tangly cut up cape 
and and black lipstick though. So they yeah, might... he, they probably do kind of, which is the more modern interpretation of sinister, which is just like a suit. Oh. He doesn't appear in the traditional. Can they do the ultimate version? Where he has tattoos and, and he's all gangsta and he throws Professor X down a flight of stairs Let's, because he's in a wheelchair. Get it? Let's hope now. That was kind of an amazing panel, though. I've I've always said the you know, Brian Cranston would be awesome, but the actor I've always wanted to see most to play Mr. Sinister, Lawrence Fishburne. Interesting. Think about it. Think about it. I'm not getting it. I'm a bad fan. You are. I am. Okay, on to Jay Gelsmeo's questions. Do you want to go first or do you want to ask? Do you want to answer or do you want to ask? I'm going to turn the tables. I'm going to ask you first this time. You asked me first last week. Damn it. All right. Tables are not being turned. You can ask me first if you want. I'm just saying if you're operating under the supposition you're turning tables, that is not the case. Well, now I'm going to. So ask me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what I can't do. Drew. Yeah. Do you think, and, okay, the wording of this is grammatically, I think, believe correct, but it's kind of, it's going to sound weird. Do you think, and in his prime, Bud could hold his own against Beatrix Kiddo in a fight? Hmm. In his prime. In his prime. Now, Bud was the David Carradine character, right? No, that's Bill you're thinking of. Bud was uh, Michael Madsen. (laughs) Oh, Michael Madsen. <laughs> Slap yourself in the face. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, no. Well, hang on. Peak beat? Is it peak Beatrix? Like, did not say. Okay. I, I, I mean, he kind of caught her by surprise. I, hmm. Mono a mano in his prime. No rock salt shotgun. Nope. I, I'm going to say Beatrix still wins Alrighty. yeah second question choose one the red snapper or what's in the box oh um i've seen this i've seen how this plays out i'm gonna take the red snapper red snapper <laughs> very tasty That's correct because i know what's in the box Nothing. And I'm not stupid. <laughs> All right, sir. Go if ahead. you get that, you're good people. You are good people. All right, Carl. Where are you? Here we go. Okay. My gosh, you have you're, 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 Jay likes to be wordy with you. <laughs> okay, Carl. Following the events of Jaws two, do you feel that Mayor Larry Vaughn was able to secure reelection during the next voting cycle? I believe we're going to go piece by piece. There's several okay, questions okay, here. Okay. I believe yes, only because small town uh, politicians in a small town like that usually tend to hold on to power until death do they part. And I think the events in Jaws two were very isolated and not public. Remember the the kids went out on the boats, and then the shark got them like at the Cable Island. Yeah, so yeah. it wasn't really like by the beach. So I think Vaughn was probably able to keep that under wraps. Okay, because because Brody at that point probably had a reputation as like a you know off the cannon kind of you know jumping conclusions whatnot. So it might have been much easier to discredit him. Well, that leads into: Do you think Chief Brody missed a golden opportunity to run against Larry Vaughn? 
I don't necessarily think so. I think had he run, he would have probably lost pretty badly. All right. Brody wanted to close the beaches and the first jaws, like permanently close the beaches for the holiday weekend. Right. Which would have, as Quint so gently put it, which would have put them all on welfare for the rest of the winter. So people, as I'm sure you can attest to you, think with their pockets much more than their brains. Correct. So, yeah, I don't think Brody would have been able to mount a good campaign. Now, having said that, do you think that he did mount a campaign as this topic was never broached in Jaws 3D or Jaws the Revenge? Um, no, he probably didn't. He probably got so fed up with the politics and he just was either content to remain chief of police or just retire until he is unfortunate passing. Um, I heard that he moved to an island um, somewhere south of Florida and uh, his he had a big family get together <laughs> and then a, a gang of, of, of murderers showed up and killed everybody. Were, were the murderers sharks? Uh, no, no. They worked for uh, John Travolta. So they could have been like lone sharks, or, you know, maybe sharks in the mafia sense. But then his son, Frank, uh, right, survived. And then he killed them all. Yeah. But, well, you know, I have been known to survive a gunshot point blank to the chest. Haven't we all? I mean, yes. Flesh wound. It's a bit, you know. All right. So time, okay. time next question. Report. Oh, there's another question. Yeah, right. there's another question for you. So many questions for AJ. Show me love. He butt dialed me today, actually. That's pretty great, actually. Yeah, which is funny considering like modern phones and how they work and everything. You'd be you'd be surprised. I get at least uh, at least two butt dials from my father a month, and it's. But does he have like a modern smartphone? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's well, amazing. I don't know how he pulls it off. Jay, check your phone records. You butt dialed me today. Okay, Carl. Which store would you rather run? Okay. The Leftorium. Or King Toots Music Store? I'm going to say because I'm a left-handed person myself, the Leftorium. Okay. There you go. All righty. Time for your questions. I have more. Wait. Oh, didn't I answer mine? No, you didn't answer yours yet. I don't know what's oh, going wait, on. Oh, yeah, you did. I <laughs> did. Derp. My God, we're off our game today. Yeah, we are kind of. Okay, so. Hang on. Are... He did have one for both of us, though. Oh, that's That right. you conveniently ignored. Sorry. You owe Jay an apology. Jay wants to know if he can get his own theme song. If he can write it, record it, perform it, yes. All right. There we go. <laughs> All right. So, again, folks, if you want to send us viewer questions that we are more than happy to answer, please do so. And, again, as I implore you, uh, the show is picking up some some momentum. We're getting more followers and likes and stuff every week. We're very grateful for that. If you want to help the show grow, the best thing you can do for us is when you see us post a new episode, please share that post, retweet our tweets, get the word out there about the show. We very much appreciate it. Tell your friends at the water cooler, if they've watched Daredevil, that there's a really hip podcast that they can listen to for episode breakdowns after a whole bunch of gratuitous uh, wrestling uh, talk. Not just wrestling. Talk about our stuff. <laughs> we do. Okay, so we're going to move on to our first ever guest on the show. Uh, we're excited about this. We're going to we're going to start bringing in people eh, a little more fairly regularly. Not every week. Let's see but, how it goes. Yeah, we're going to see how it goes. So we're going to move on to our interview now with Mr. Brian Stone.
Okay, as we mentioned earlier, folks, we have a first here on The Devil's Due. We have our first guest on the show. Now, a lot of you who have been listening to the show for a while know that one of my passions is, in fact, fighting games, Street Fighter, my all-time favorite video game series. And to that extent, we have a guest on the show who I've known for a couple years now. He's a quality dude, and he's got a big tournament coming up in the Buffalo, New York area that will be happening the first weekend of October. Welcome to the show, please, Mr. Brian Stone. Brian, how are you doing, Hello. sir? I'm doing well. Welcome. How are you guys? We're doing good. Welcome to Devil's Due, and congratulations on being our first ever guest on the show. Well, that's a distinct honor. I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> chisel this in my stone tablet that I passed down to future generations. We, we are honored, sir. So, you've got a deep, rich history with the fighting game community, particularly in the Buffalo, New York area. Can you give us a little bit of your background in that? Uh, well, it goes all the way back to the 90s, you know, before most of the people who will be listening to this were born. Uh, just I uh, got, got bitten by the competition bug uh, really early in video games. I saw the movie The Wizard, uh, thought that competitions like that really existed, even though they didn't. Uh Wait, you're saying the Blockbuster wasn't the Blockbuster Video Game Championships? Well, that's, that's what this leads to, the Blockbuster <laughs> World Video Game Championships. I made it to the New York State Finals, and I actually was cheated uh, from there uh, by the competition staff, but that's a story for another time. Uh, <laughs> I lost to a much cuter and marketable nine-year-old Asian from New York City. Nobody Sounds about right. Some, <laughs> nobody wanted some wanky white kid from Buffalo representing New York on the national stage, so... I got I got pieced out there. I mean, they they could barely beat me anyways in the one competition that they had us do the tiebreaker in. But fast forwarding, I just uh, I lived close to one of the putt putt arcades in the Galleria Mall. Uh, I just you know started frequenting uh, arcades. Uh, really got a knack for what to do to beat my opponent. Started uh, figuring out things about games before other people and really mastering systems and fighting games and uh, just kind of prided myself on it. Nobody was like as hardcore as me. It was my niche back in the day. Uh, so I started running like little video game competitions at my high school where I ran an anime club uh, that I started playing video games at and I carried that tradition to college. And uh, that, that's, that goes into the formative years of what we call the fighting game community today, the FGC um, before the internet was really this like hotbed of social media, it was very difficult to find people that were into the same stuff you were. There were always like static web pages and whatnot, uh, and like people posting on like bulletin board style like meetups that they're having uh, not online uh, for games. But uh, those were few and far between. And uh, do you guys remember the old style message boards where it's basically like linear text, and if somebody replies, it's like indented text that far back i was a forum kid so yeah I'm, I'm down okay so yeah that the first fighting game forums were like that like tekken.com and game combos and uh whatnot and uh i started talking on those and uh there was no real outlet uh, right now fighting game tournaments in their present state are being televised on ESPN and really growing with the, the esport trend that's going out there. But back, back then you could, you couldn't even find the person's house to hold the tournament at, let alone like afford or imagine renting out a venue and filling it with players there to play your specific set of games just was unheard of. So what we started doing was, uh, 
gathering at anime conventions. Uh, that that's how the FGC actually got started. Is uh, most people who were into games were into Japanese culture because you were always paying attention to the games before they came out in America. And back then, everything was released in Japan first. So you got into Japanese culture. You started watching anime because, it, you know, back then, especially in the 90s, it was so much more like adult and badass than American cartoons. So you already had this kind of culture, you know, curtailing uh, what you did as a hobby, which is playing the video games. And uh, the, these conventions started off. I mean, they were really small back in the mid-90s. We're talking like 40, 50 people in a hotel lobby, and that, that was the whole convention. Uh, but people started talking about things they did on the side. You started finding other people that were into the games that you played. And uh, you formed a community that way. And uh, basically, that's how I started. And I just... Uh, I guess the difference between me and people who no longer exist from that era, or I just kept going with it. I just kept on seeing how far I could take just the fighting game in a small market city like Buffalo and Pittsburgh, where I lived for eight years also for college. I kind of built up their scene there and left it in good hands, and it's still going strong as well. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely feel when when I found... As, as we commonly refer to it, the BFGC, the Buffalo Fighting Game Community. When I stumbled across it on uh, the, the community page on Facebook and went to that first meetup, because I'm kind of from that early 90s, you know, Friday nights at Aladdin's Castle in the Boulevard Mall, Saturday nights at Putt-Putt on Sheridan, just standing by that Street Fighter Two machine and trying to prove your, prove your worth. Standing I, in the shadows, rubbing your hands together. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> But, yeah, I definitely, when I first walked in that first uh, meeting of the BFGC, I, I definitely felt like I had found a home that I lost for a long, long time. And, you know, the community is very welcoming. And, unfortunately, I can't attend as much as I would like to What with having a baby at all. That kind of... Excuses, excuses. <laughs> kind of kills the game a little bit. Uh, but you, you mentioned eSports. Now... As, as those of us who have, are looking around, Kazi esports is definitely picking up momentum. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's here on the mainstream stage for general populace to see, but you can definitely see it kind of going in that direction. But there still seems to be kind of a schism between fighting game community and the esports community. Do you th- do you think that's kind of <clears throat> changing now, or do you think the schism is growing further? Um, it's hard to say. That there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just a community ideology like fighting gamers want this and the mobile players and FPS players want this. I, I think it, it, it's a little bit of console versus PC. Uh, the fighting game community is almost 100% console players. Uh, I mean, people play PC on the side to practice and whatnot because it's convenient to them, but it's not really a main format of play. Um, and then uh, there's also just the, the, the mentality uh, and the team aspect of uh, esports that uh, I think is really making it popular because what, what are the most popular spectator sports that we, that we have on TV? It's, it's team sports. So um, it's an easy transition conceptually. For people who are watching uh, football, baseball, hockey, basketball, all that stuff, uh, to see a team of people playing a computer game working together towards a goal and having all this, you know, 
cool aesthetic values of apply and production values on the productions that they're being a part of, making it look like it's this like ready for network TV, you know, big time sport. And it's the next big thing. So um, the team based aspect of it, I think, really carries. And I don't think people talk about that enough either, by the way. But uh, I think I think the team based aspect is really what what carries the the PC games, the MOBAs and whatnot into the the spotlight over fighting games. Uh, and and fighting games definitely has this uh, this this image of poverty, all right? Because PC players, they have these big, huge, expensive rigs. They're constantly upgrading, constantly pouring money into their machines, uh, and and all the 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 companies, the many, many, many companies that make computer parts and peripherals and everything for your PC, which is you know thousands more than console makers uh, per capita. Uh, are, are throwing money at this to get their products on screen for all these uh, players to see. And in consoles, it's like you're playing on a PlayStation, Sony. Okay, next. <laughs> like, like, there's no, there's no like gambit of companies throwing themselves at it. I mean, it's starting to grow a little bit. You're having the peripheral makers for the fighting games and the consoles kind of throwing, uh, throwing money at the community, and it, they're trying to emulate what the big PC games are doing. But uh, it's just on a much smaller scale because it has a much more uh, smaller advertising focus. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. Yeah, I get you. Makes sense. So how big was it? How big of a step forward was it to have? Because we discussed on this show uh, the Evo World Championships that were aired this year on ESPN. Um, The numbers came in. They said that as far as like physical viewership on television i think it was like 160,000 was the numbers and then like total reach television social media things like that were upwards of 2 million how big of a leap forward was that or do we still was it just like a as oh, was, obi-wan once said a first step a lar- first step into a larger world i mean it, it's it's huge there's no there's what your feelings on evo you know may be like it or hate it um uh, it, it's it's a huge step especially for the fighting game community but just also esports in general i mean that they're starting to become more uh mainstream where they're they're starting to be shown on normal television channels uh, I mean, I had a comment from one of my coworkers that had nothing to do with fighting game community. He didn't even know I'm a part of it. And he said he was at a, a bar and he's like, what the hell? There's these video games on TV. Could you turn on ESPN so I could get into something I want to watch? <laughs> like, this is ESPN. And like, uh, that, I mean, I'm sure that comment was replicated to some effect, like times a thousand. Perhaps he uh, would, would have rather have watched poker on ESPN. Yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. riveting television. Or tractor racing or whatever junk <laughs> they put in there. Well, to be fair, I think you can draw some comparisons between like the rise of poker and the rise of the fighting game community because they share similarities in that anyone can get into it. It's not one of the, the reason poker took off so hugely a couple of years back is because an every man won the world's biggest tournament. And so everybody jumped on board poker right away. But I think what the fighting game com- community has over poker is that the games change and you get new games. Poker is the same today as it was before. Play styles change. Sure. But well, the, and, and- the game it's essentially is the same. When I was watching poker on ESPN, poker and- is also still a game of chance too. So there's there's that that factor. Yeah, uh, but, like any, any form of gambling, it's it's it, there's definitely skill involved. Don't ever get that crossed. There's definitely skill in playing Texas Hold'em. 
but uh, you know, in fighting games and in, in most of the high-end esport games in general, there is a there's skill that you have to work at. There's no there's nothing that comes free to you. There's nothing that can randomly happen to benefit you. Uh, it's all 100% skill. It's all 100% knowledge. There's no genetic traits that will make you better than other people, really. Uh, but uh, you know, it's all it's all a product of your individual skill, and to a lesser extent, uh, for other games, uh, your team's uh, ability to have teamwork. So, yeah, and you, just like any other sport, you have to train. You have to train a lot. You have to grind out. Like these professional players, a lot of people don't understand. They'll that's their that's their yeah. professional. That's their life. Understand. That's their job. They train seven eight hours a day a lot of times more to go to these tournaments correct and i think that's where the mainstream disconnect still lies is uh they don't i I don't want to say they but people in general who just know of video games existing and that their friends play them or people play them they don't know or believe based on what they did when they played their nintendo you know 25 years ago uh that there's any skill involved they're like you just mash buttons random crap happens and you turn the game off they think it's like poker they're like well there's everybody's playing these games because there's some random element that's out of your control and everybody's got a chance to win and that's why it's popular but they they don't understand the amount of skill that goes into it because it's not something that can be easily demanded on tv screen as opposed to like a running back on the football field you know juking two guys out and spinning out of a tackle like that's obvious athletic skill on display but when uh, somebody pulls off a you know eight one frame links in a single combo in street fighter that might not be apparent to the viewer because uh, there's no camera fixated on their hands uh in relation to the, sc- the character on the screen so people don't understand how hard that is and uh that's that's a part of esports that they need to convey better and uh, i don't really have any solutions on how they go about doing that now Within the subculture of fighting game community, a subculture within a subculture that's really taken off in the past couple of years has been the Smash community. I bring that up because Drew is a huge Nintendo fan, although not a huge Smash fan. I'm a huge Nintendo file, but Smash has always been uh, annoying to me <laughs> because it because unlike other fighting games, it does feel random and button mashy and unfun to me. Well, and uh, it's it's just not for me that way. It, it's it, the crazy thing about Smash. The crazy thing is the mania that surrounds Nintendo fandom, uh, because that is literally all that kept that game afloat in its formative years as a c- competitive game. Uh, is just people's love and adoration for Nintendo characters being able to fight one another and just constantly be in that Nintendo ecosystem. Like, people really just want to be a part of it. They want to engage in nostalgia. They want to engage in fandom. And Smash Brothers gives them both of those things on a silver platter. The, the crazy thing is that the way you're describing it is the way the game is supposed to be. It's supposed to be this crazy four players on screen at once, random fun party game that you just mash out with your friends and crazy stuff happens when you throw a Pokeball at another person. Uh, competitive Smash is nothing like that. They basically had to work tirelessly over a number of years to form this into a competitive game by stripping away everything fun about it. Stripping away (laughs) everything (laughs) random, everything fun, everything lighthearted about the game, and strip it down to the bare essentials, which, hidden underneath, has a lot of technical skill buried into it. 
like the movement in Smash Brothers is absolutely, especially Melee on the GameCube, is uh, insane. Like you have to train and condition your hands to move a certain way in that game, or you will never become a good player. Um, but yeah, so in Smash Brothers Melee, for instance, you're down to what two or three levels competitively. You can only use two or three stages, maybe a couple more. Uh, and half the characters in the cast are unusable. No items are on. There's a specific stock of lives. I believe uh, the standard format is four now, four or three, uh, when you're playing 1v, and it's only 1v1. And you're playing on the most dullest levels possible, the ones that only have, like, two platforms and nothing random happening, like no fireballs coming by or random stage NPCs coming by. It's just a, (laughs) a flat piece of ground and two platforms, and you're just all darting around the stage trying to get a, you know, a lucky, not a lucky hit, but a uh, get a hit past your opponent's defenses. And uh, they developed a game around that. And it completely changed the way that uh, Smash Brothers is looked at. So, you know, kudos to that community for sticking with it because that is a tireless process. Can you imagine that, Carl, with Street Fighter? If, like, people had to stick with Street Fighter even though it was, like, completely... RNG random button masher game and you had to ban like a whole bunch of options and change a whole bunch of options and restrict a whole bunch of characters would people still stay with it no not yeah, even for no, a second that's true so when you say uh half the cast is unusable do you mean that they're just like terrible characters that are so low on the tier scale or they're legitimately tournament well, yeah, bad because they were not designed to be played the way the the high level players are now playing the game therefore they 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 don't have a move set to support what the good characters can do and want to do like game and watch and bowser and donkey kong they're literally like unusable characters because they don't have anything good up close they like game and watch you could smash in a couple of hits and he doesn't have anything to get people off of him it's just like there's there's characters in that game that people may like uh, a lot, and you can't play them competitively because it's nearly impossible to even beat a low-level player playing a, a well-designed character for the type of game that they're now playing. And I think it's really a credit to the Smash community that the game has grown the way it has despite Nintendo. Because Nintendo does not, at least from my perspective, and Drew, maybe you can comment on this too, being as in the know with Nintendo as you are, Nintendo doesn't treat Smash like a fighting game in that they don't introduce uh, balances or fixes for mechanics that might not be working. Uh, they, they just, they they just kind of put it out there as a party game. They, I think they initially they did, but I yeah. think that's changed with newer iterations. But ironically, the community doesn't want to play the newer iterations of the game. <laughs> Well, Smash 4 is actually doing pretty well for itself. That's it's, good. Uh, it's growing. But, uh, um, yeah, Brawl was, uh, well, severely imbalanced. And, yeah, Nintendo, we was in a place where Nintendo uh, wasn't prepared or willing to patch games. Uh, so Brawl suffered from some severe mechanical issues and some ridiculous imbalance. And, like, that's another crazy thing about this Nintendo fandom is that People modded their Wii's and hacked Smash Brothers Brawl to make another game out of the shell that was Smash Brothers Brawl called Project Melee to try and convert Brawl to be a more like Smash Brothers Melee type engine. And people played that for years. And when Nintendo finally caught wind of it, uh, they shut it down. Yeah, that's people what aren't they do. Allowed. <laughs> yep, like like they do, like they well, do. 
they're not making money off of it. End of story. People are making money off of it, streaming it, you know, selling copies, selling modded Wii's and stuff like that. And, you know, from a business perspective, obviously, that doesn't, it's not in Nintendo's best interest to allow that type of behavior. So, and, and no, none of the companies do it. No, nobody, ex- Microsoft and Sony don't say, go ahead, hack our systems and mod our games. No, it doesn't happen. No. It's not, not good for the console business in their eyes. So, well, that's their, that's their only business. So, I, I, under, I understand. So, okay, let's talk about Rumble in the Tundra. Um, I have known this tournament for the past three years now. I competed the first year. Uh, last year, I was just, like, on staff helping out, which I was happy to do, which I will be doing this year. Tell us about the history of Rumble, how it started out, and what, what you're expecting and what you're hoping for for this year. Well, prior to moving back to Buffalo, uh, I was part of just helping build communities online to, you know, get offline competition going in all the major cities and just try to have this, like, national community so every game had, like, this competitive identity in the United States. And um, that really took off for me while I was living in Pittsburgh. Uh, I went to school across from the main arcade there. I started running tournaments for the guy there, and it was, like, super successful. Lots of people were coming in. He gave me keys to the machines and uh, all kinds of good stuff. Um, I moved back to Buffalo. It was a competitive desert. Nobody here had any kind of scene. Nobody talked to each other. There was no online presence for Buffalo. So I just um, started uh, from scratch again. I started... uh, I, I worked in the Galleria Mall when I came back at a life insurance company, believe it or not. I was doing uh, IT work and junior underwriting for a uh, life insurance company that happened to be in Buffalo's biggest mall. So every day I was in the Cyber Station Arcade there, uh, trolling up people to play fighting games, telling people online to come play me in fighting games, talking as much smack as possible uh, to goad people into coming and fight, fighting me, and then... I tried to use you know, my charm and uh, my ability at fighting games to convince them that uh, they should stick with the games and uh, we should form a community and we should start having competitions. And uh, other places around the country that already had like huge arcades and huge scenes uh, were starting to run large tournaments, major tournaments. And uh, I felt Buffalo was regionally in a place where it was between Rochester, Toronto, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Cleveland, all these cities uh, that had players, and none of those cities were hosting majors because Toronto really hadn't gotten its shit together yet. So I was like, I should start hosting a major here, and then everybody from these surrounding areas can meet at a nice central point, and we're right on the border of Canada, so the Canadian players could come over, and we could have this like, cool international rivalry, and that's how I formed an idea for a tournament. And, uh, you know, every, every tournament has its uh, gimmicky name, and I was just like, hmm, what hasn't been used yet? <laughs> so I thought of, like, uh, you know, famous fights in history, and I was like, Rumble in the Jungle, you know, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, well, what's Buffalo? Buffalo is definitely not a jungle. What is it? Is it a deciduous forest? No, that doesn't sound right. So I was just like, oh, tundra. People think we're in the Arctic North. You know, Buffalo, it's also synonymous with snow. So I was like, Rumble in the Tundra. Named it that. A lot of people liked the name. A lot of people started paying attention to it. And now it, it's hardly considered a major tournament compared to what's out there now. I mean, we, we've got tournaments in Atlanta, New York City, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Vegas, where we've got players showing up by the thousands. 
uh, for single games and in an event that hosts like 10 to 15 games. So Rumble in the Tundra is not quite at that level yet. You know, I don't know if this region could ever support something at that level uh, without major money behind it. You know, money fixes everything, as we well know. But um, uh, right now, it's just something that it's. Uh, I work very hard at. I, I fund it myself, just you know, trying to deliver a minimum expectation uh, to the players and uh, offer up as much pot bonuses to lure players from other areas to uh, our tournaments. And I just kept growing it from there. You know, what the first Rumble in the Tundra was held at UB in a random classroom uh, at Baldy Hall. And I think we ended up having 54 people come out from mainly Toronto, Pittsburgh, Syracuse. That was our like main competition base. We had a couple stragglers from Ohio and whatnot. Uh, but uh, everybody had a great time, uh, and we just grew it from there. And uh, it's still going to this day. Now we are, we're expecting uh, well over 500 players this year, so it should be nice. That's awesome to hear. What uh, what do you have in store for us this year? What what are the featured games? What like side tournaments do you have going on? What, well, what's the rundown for this year? This year was kind of an odd year. Uh, when I decided on the date way back in February and announced it in March, uh, I was the only person to have the date that I selected. Uh, then I was advised by several top Street Fighter players. The date I had selected was. Uh, the weekend before this, September 24th, um, I was told then by uh, a top player, K. Brad, and uh, a couple other top players that are friends of mine, that there is a big Atlantic City tournament in the works, and they're going to have like a $10,000 pot for Street Fighter, and uh, all the pros are going to go there. You should move your date to a week back so we can go to Atlantic City and then come up to Buffalo and help you guys out. And I'm like, sweet. Uh, nobody really knows what dates I picked yet, so I'm going to just go back to October 1st and 2nd. So what ends up happening is that Atlantic City venture goes under, uh, gets canceled, like killed in the crib really early. ESL sweeps in says, oh, all these people that are lit- interested in Atlantic City, we can fold fighting games into this big uh, Counter-Strike and Dota event that we're hosting called ESL1. Uh, <laughs> not to go too much into details, but... What ends up happening is there's a $75,000 Street Fighter tournament happening on the same day as Rumble and Tundra, and I couldn't change the dates because I had already booked the venue and a number of other things that just obligated me to stick with my dates. So I had to shift focus. Uh, Street Fighter was going to be a main game, so I had to reevaluate what games we could leverage to pull in the most players. And King of Fighters was set to come out around the date. I was hoping it would definitely be before October 1st, and it was. So I was like, we all love King of Fighters up here. I mean, we don't have a very hardcore community that sticks with the game, but whenever a game comes out, most of the people play it. Uh, we have a lot of pretty good to great KOF players in the region uh, that I knew would be into the idea. So when KOF 14 was announced, uh, I went ahead and immediately threw our biggest pop bonus, which is $1,000 at it, <coughs> to attract players. I started talking to high-level KOF players all over the nation, and I got uh, five out of the eight top players in America to show up for it. So we are going to have some crazy good competition for the game. Um, Buffalo's also been a big, big supporter of Guilty Gear, and that's been through every single game. Our, our community's varied in size to very small to very large, but we are very hardcore about two games in Buffalo, and that's Guilty Gear and Tekken. We always support those, so Guilty Gear has a $500 pop bonus this year and a lot of good players showing up for that. And Tekken, even though Tekken's kind of dead because everybody's waiting 
for Tekken 7 to come out, and we've been sitting with Tag 2 for three years now, and nobody's really playing it, but Buffalo still respects the community and wants to keep the game you know warm until Tekken 7 drops so we're still giving that a $250 pop bonus and a good number of players are showing up for that we're still running Street Fighter 5 even though that big tournament's happening in New York City Uh, but it's just scaled back it's a $250 pop bonus plus $250 for every 50 people that enter and it already passed 50 so it's going to be a $500 pop bonus there and uh, a couple other games that uh, Buffalo has always been strong in and we always get good support for Mortal Kombat a uh, new game that came out this year, Pokin, uh, where you fight Pokemon in this arena-style fighting game. <clears throat> it, it doesn't have a huge fandom because it's actually uh, a technically difficult game to set up. Uh, you have to have two consoles and two monitors to play it properly, and not a lot of uh, tournament organizers or players are willing to devote those kind of resources to get a really uh, good setup going for that game so you don't see it at a lot of tournaments but uh we're, we're throwing a 250 dollars pop bonus at that plus 250 for every 50 entrance and we got a lot of top players in the nation showing up for that as well and then we have a whole bunch of side games basically you know every every game that is popular or at least has been popular in the years past ultimate marvel versus capcom three uh killer instinct <coughs> uh blaze blue the uh New version just came out, the demo version in Japan that's fully playable with all the characters. So we're going to be running that and a number of arcade classics like Windjammers and Soul Calibur and, and other other games. And uh, Smash Brothers is a, a huge presence as always, uh, as we mentioned. Um, there is a little bit of a disconnect between the FGC and the Smash community. In Buffalo, we've done a good job of integrating both and kind of having both work together. But for the most part, people still think of them as separate. And at Rumble and the Tundra, they are on two separate floors. So there's so many Smash players that show up. They get their own section on the fourth floor. And the rest of the fighting games are held on the bottom floor of the Tri-Main building on Main Street. A lot of you might be familiar with it. They have a lot of festivals and events that go on there. But uh, it's just uh, getting really big. And I'm looking forward to having all these uh, interesting players uh, come from out of town and see who takes home the bacon. Hopefully Buffalo can finally defend its turf it's been a long time since we've won our own rumble and thunder man a real long time i got a uh, I got a big smile on my face when you mentioned wind jammers and drew looked at me <laughs> inquisitively and that's because i have a title to defend drew i i'm a two-time reigning wind jammers champion i don't even Much. know what wind jammers is it's a it's a neo geo game okay that came out unfortunately we'll probably never see a reissue of it because it was a game by data east that wasn't by snk mm. think tennis with frisbees and like superpower moves now that you well, mention uh, it that does ring a bell but. actually th- think of pong meets super dodgeball for nintendo Yes, that's much better description of it. Cool, cool. So, and that's so the date. What's the date on that on the tourney again? This is coming up October first and second. And uh, like I said, it's at the Trimin Building. Um, that's on Main Street, uh, a little past uh, UB South Campus, uh, heading towards Sisters Hospital. And where can people where can people register for the tournament <clears throat> online? Where can they find you on social media or find the Buffalo Fighting Game community or uh, the tournament oh, itself and the in the interwebs? Much much to my chagrin, I don't know how you guys feel about social media, but I absolutely abhor it. Even though I'm on it constantly, <laughs> I, I have to be. I feel obligated to the community to be active on social media as an advocate for us. <clears throat> but personally, I I cannot stand being on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, not to knock it, 
but uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment and uh, all their news from it, but it's just not for me. Uh, but if you simply go on Facebook and you search Buffalo Fighting Game Community, you'll find our, our closed group. I basically send a message to anybody who wants to join, uh, kind of screening them so we don't get bots or people who are irrelevant to the community joining. And uh, we've done a pretty good job of filtering out all of that junk. And uh, we just have a, a community where we talk about getting together and playing games, talk about strategy and games, talk about where Buffalo is headed competitively. And uh, uh, we organize trips to other tournaments all across the United States and uh, beyond. I mean, we go to Evo, we go to Japan, we go all over the place. We are truly world warriors in this scene. <laughs> and if uh, you wanted to contact me or follow on Twitter to find out what the Buffalo Fighting Game community is up to, my Twitter is cha to the max, which is just C-H-A-C-H-A, the number two, D-A-M-A-X. <clears throat> and I'm simply Brian Stone on Facebook, I'm sure. If you're listening to Drew and Carl, we have at least some mutual friends, so I'll pop up on a on Facebook search. Awesome. Uh, the, the, the registration site, if you are interested in uh, even coming and spectating. Spectating the event is only $10. Uh, you can feel free to come down and play casual games and just watch the high-level players do, do their magic. We'll have four streams going uh, broadcast internationally, so that'll be cool on that front. Uh, but the website to register is simply smash, S-M-A-S-H dot G-G forward slash Rumble 6, the number 6. So it's a nice, short, simple URL. You go to a, a, a website called Smash.gg. It's a tournament that kind of uh, forms a database for players and allows you to register via PayPal for various tournaments across the country, and we are one of them listed and uh, very easy to use the site. Excellent. Well, Brian, thank you very much for joining us. Good luck with Rumble in the Tundra and your future endeavors. I cannot wait. Oh, man, don't use the future endeavors on this show, please. What? That's, that, <laughs> as a wrestling guide, let me just tell you what future endeavors means. We are parting company never to be seen again. Well, <laughs> we're not firing Brian. We're just thanking, thanking him for being on the show and wishing his tourney well. Well, I am not a wrestling guy. Now so you know. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. Brian, thank I you very much for joining us. We appreciate it's always it. always a pleasure, man. I'd always love to come on and talk about other stuff, too. Uh, as you can see, uh, I, I can go on quite a bit if you get me on a subject of interest. So Definitely. We'll bring you back in the future, sir. Well, sure. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thank sir. you. Okay, good times. We're very happy to have Mr. Brian Stone on. We thank him again for coming on the show. Drew, it's time to break out some notes and rustle some papers. Papers are rustled. Let's break down an episode. Papers and Jimmy's are rustled. Drew, we're getting close <laughs> to the end of the first season. We are. We're getting, we got one more episode after this first season. Then we got some Luke Cage to watch. Uh, it, it, this is all happening too quickly. We got some, some standalone fun stuff we're going to be doing. Some Bixby in. It's going to get about uh, 48% more flecky in here. <laughs> I, I'm afraid. <laughs> but until then, we do have some episodes to break down. Here we are on episode 12, The Ones We Leave Behind. Rut row. That, that sounds ominous. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But before then. Before then. Uh, Karen. She, she throws she the gun. The waterfront. She, she throws the gun in yeah, the water. She, obviously, we pick up right where we left off the last episode where Karen shot up Wesley. She pulled the trigger till it went click. Yep. 
So now she's obviously very shaken by this event. She just got survived a horrific ideal of being ordeal of being kidnapped and threatened with her life. She ended up killing a man. So she does the smart thing and chucks the gun into. I'm guessing the Hudson. I'm assuming it's the Hudson. Yeah. Always assume it's the Hudson. Yes. So Karen makes it back to her apartment, and she doesn't even bother with the glass, Drew. No. She just grabs the bottle by the neck and and knocks it back. Yeah. Now I've never I've never killed a man. Uh, at least. Not that you can prove. Um, I don't know that just downing whiskey is is really the, the right move here. Nothing, but, nothing ever good comes from just throwing the bottle back without moderation. Um, I mean, I'm sure many people were born as a result of this, but yeah, well, you know, it does it has perpetuation it, species. It has, it has probably <laughs> equally contributed to population growth as it has population reduction. Yeah. It's yeah. probably it's probably as we say. So it's a wash is what you're saying. Yeah, really. it's a push. Okay. It's a push. Fair enough. So yeah, she downs the bottle, she's taking a shower, she's wiping all the blood off and whatnot, she's making sure she's clean. But she can't wipe off all the guilt and shame. <laughs> they don't make water hot enough. <laughs> um but no, she yeah, she's obviously very traumatized. And surprise! Surprise Fisk is there. Fisk! But no, he's not. It's a dream. So dreamy, Fisk. Stay. Teach their own, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So the episode really kind of starts to pick up where we get to the Nelson and Murdoch offices where we find Karen again. This kind of seems to be, it's, it seems at this point, I mean, granted, we have the schism that's developed between Matt and Foggy, but it seems that the offices at this point in the show are offices in name only. And that they're just kind of where they all go to meet, like an escape to get away from it's, other things. It's their happy place, even though it's not. Yeah, and like none of them are very, <laughs> it's like, it's a very melancholy happy place. Yeah. The best way yeah. to describe it. Um, Foggy is also there. She doesn't see yes. him at first, but uh, he is there. And um, they joke, you know, he, he remarks that she smells like a distillery. And that's probably not a good thing. No. But um, she says, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to get into the hard stuff. Or no, he does he tell her to get into the hard stuff? He tells her to get into the hard stuff, which brings me to my note. Drew, what are the kids calling weed nowadays? Uh, weed? I don't know. All right. I don't partake. Because doesn't know either. Because uh, he was calling like the Mary Jane and yeah, those are all fashion names, grass. I don't think anyone calls it grass anymore. Not since like 1974 or yeah. so. But uh, no, I think it's just I think it's just weed or, or bud or or yep. uh, you know the it's the good stuff. The ganj. I don't. I think that's out too. I don't know. I could be wrong. But <laughs> if you know, <laughs> dear listeners, we're not asking you to get us any. Just tell us what you call it when you do go get. They call the swamp thing. But, maybe. Uh, no. Maybe maybe the geekiest among us. But I I doubt it. Um. <laughs> The hard stuff uh, line, though, is prophetic. Yes. If you know the history of the character in the comic books, um, which I'm obviously, as soon as that was brought up, I was kind of like, oh, we're teasing yeah. that, are we? Mm. Um, but we'll get into that when it happens. Yeah, yeah. And that's not the only little tease about Karen in this episode. No. So, anyway. So, Foggy still seems to be intent on leaving Nelson and Murdoch, but he seems to be kind of turning around on the devil of hell's kitchen yeah and he also is resolved to still go after wilson fisk after what he did to mrs Curtiness. yeah 
And then Matt shows up, and we just have a really... Real quick aside before Matt shows up, though. When Foggy asks Karen for the files on Fisk, she gives him a folder from the drawer, but not the box that Ben left Karen. The box with all the newspaper clippings, the cards, and the connections. Hmm. Not sure if that's going to come into play later, but it's something I kind of noticed. Karen's probably sensing that, you know, things are kind of falling apart with Nelson and Murdoch. So she's probably thinking she's going to have to go on with this whole Fisk vendetta with just her and Ben. Okay. All right. That might be why she's holding the, the box back. Yeah. So Matt shows up. Awkward. Awkward. Just kind of like when you run into an ex. Yeah. With your current girlfriend. Except they're all alone because they're all. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like that. Yeah. No words spoken. Foggy leaves. No. Matt enters. Gee, that's not weird at all. Yeah, a lot of sleeplessness going around too. Matt saying that he. Uh, it's probably hard to sleep when you you know have a gaping wound in your belly. Yeah, yeah, he might need a sensory deprivation tank. Sleeping. Uh, I think I know someone who can get a good deal on one of those. <laughs> He's Batman now. He doesn't need it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or or is he Night Owl? I can't tell. Oh oh oh! You saw that. I did. It looks just like Night Owl. Do you think Snyder's even aware that he's ripping off his own movie? Uh, it's hard to say. <laughs> for I'm those gonna, of you kind of scratching your head. I'm going to say he doesn't even know it. Yeah. For those of you who are kind of scratching your head right now, earlier this week, they released a frame from the upcoming Justice League movie, which showed Batman in a quote-unquote tactical suit. And if you look at this frame... And then you look up Night Owl from the Watchmen movie, it's pretty much the same costume. And real quick, the tactical suit, that's it's quote, the tactical suit. That's what they called it. Isn't every Batman suit tactical? But what are the other ones? The Oh, this is my fashionable suit. I don't, this is this one isn't tactical at well, all. Well, you know, they had those, all those action figures back in the day. You had like blizzard arctic batman and right jungle but those strike are, right, batman but those are, or my favorite that my friend jim came up with apocalypse batman f- which fine. is just a batman action figure encased in a 40 pound lead ball fine but at <laughs> least those have a purpose tactical the bat suit by definition is tactical tactical whatever tactics to to operate efficiently because the regular suit doesn't do these things? like yeah, maybe it, it like squeaks or th- something. That didn't even get past, like that, uh, someone spouted that off at, at the table, at the writer's table. Yeah, yeah. And it, they never questioned it, and it got put into the script. Yeah. Zack Snyder was like, you know, I could call Patrick, you know, what's his name, who played on it. I'm sure he's got a suit lying around, save us a couple bucks, we just throw a bat No, I, I, I think he didn't even know. I Honestly, someone drew it up, and he thought like, because Snyder's a moron, so he's probably like, dude, that's dope. Put yeah, that's sweet. We should put that in the movie. That's my Zack Snyder. <laughs> it sounds like a teenage Sylvester. That's Stallone. what he sounds like. He's an <laughs> idiot. He's such a bro. Well, maybe he's just being meta with it because Night Owl was an allegory for <sighs> Batman when Al Moore. And... Uh, okay, back not to exactly. And Night Owl was more Blue Beetle than Batman. To be fair, was he really? Yeah, he okay. was Ted Core Blue Beetle. He's yeah, more Ted right, Core Blue Beetle. Especially Watchmen was based off the Fawcett character, exactly more than DC proper. Yep. So that's why there okay, was an original uh, '40s version because the Blue Beetle there was a '40s version, and then there was yep. the later Ted Core iteration. Yeah, that's yeah. some little. Watchman history for you folks. Look at that. You learn something every week, whether you want to or not. That's the goal. 
So we see here that Karen is still trying to fix Nelson and Murdoch. She's trying, um, but she's really in no state to be trying right now. Yeah. Um, so now all three of our principal cast are kind of like messed up and they don't want to talk to each other. But Matt, being Matt, he can sense that something is not right with Karen yeah. right now. But she won't divulge it exactly. Which she's been like for the past couple episodes. But now more so. Yep. I mean, yeah, you know, she did obviously. kill a guy. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Um, Go to the hospital. She, she, she's awake. Vanessa's awake. Vanessa's awake. Vanessa's woken up. And she is told by Wilson that he's going, he's going to send her away. She's not a fan of this idea. No. Not only is she not a fan of it, she actively encourages him to uh, get his revenge and kill the people that Well, yeah, because he said, you know, the people who did this, I'm going to make them suffer. And she's like, I expect nothing less. Remember what I told you about her? She's no snowflake, my friend. I never said she was a snowflake. She is savage. She's clearly giving in to her inner demons and kind of shouting down her. They were all they were already there, man. So, but yeah, she, Vanessa, I think Vanessa understands the world she lives in now and is embracing it. Yeah. She, she knew what she was getting into. Yeah. And she wanted to. Yep. Um, then we move to, they have found Wesley's body. Yes. This episode, by the way, just, it jumps around a lot. There's a it lot does. Of, I noticed that as well, too. A lot of uh, wheels in motion here. I guess it, you know, kind of has to be that way because we are leading up to the, the finale. big finale. So, yep. um, yeah, they find Wesley, um, Wilson does not take this well. No, no. no. Wilson's like, find me something to punch. Uh, especially a henchman. The same henchman that Wesley told directly to look after Fisk. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> surprisingly enough in this scene, Owlsley is kind of the voice of reason. I have the exact thing written down here. Yes. Look of at, all people. Look at us. Look at us. It's, like, it's almost like we do a show on this we, or something. We got, we got teamwork going here. Uh, yeah. Wesley is, or Wesley. Owlsley is the voice of reason citing, you know, the guy was just following orders man he's he's being loyal and you're you're pounding on him for it yeah yeah but he does check fisk does check wesley's phone yes which smart which is the pebble that brings about the avalanche that we will get to at the end of the episode that is correct now daredevil proto daredevil goes to see ben pro devil sure that'll work goes to see ben and he is trying to get information about the heroin packets that are floating around with the little dragon on them. Yeah, and Ben, which obviously those heroin packets we will get to a little bit later. Again, yep. Uh, ben, being the investigative reporter he is, notice that Daredevil is speaking not unlike a boxer. Yep, picked up on that. He said, like, you know, you're looking a little worse for wear. Has been around for a while. He's, he's like, someone, someone beat you down or something. He's like, oh, I went the distance. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, distance. Boxer. Sound like a boxer. Um, so Ben gives him some information on where he might be able to find some of the people walking around toting that heroin. Yes. Follow the money, Gao's heroin, and Daredevil, pro-devil, Pro war- warns Yurik to keep his head down, and... Yeah, Yurik doesn't take that advice, though, so my head's no, fine where it is. he doesn't. Yurik, Yurik knows his place in the game. Yep. Yurik has been around the block more than anyone else involved in it. Probably any of this other than probably Mrs. Gao, Madam Gao. Uh, yeah, she's got a leg up on everybody, I'd yeah. say. Um, um, ben knows what he's getting into, and uh, he's going to keep on trucking. And now, now we'll take a second look at a blind man, after all. 
That's that's what he said. Yeah, I know. And Matt says, you're right. They won't. (laughs) Because Matt's blind. I I see what they did there, but Matt didn't. Oh, (laughs) that's me. Hey, it's, it's true. You're not pushing the old man out of the way of the truck. You're pushing the blind man in front of the truck. No, I would never do such a thing. Just wait till we get to the, the Bill Bixby Hulk stuff. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, so we're at uh, Josie's now. Yes, uh, Mar- and Mar- Mar- Marcy and Josie's don't get along. No, she- no. Marcy expects things like, you know, customer service. And, yeah, yeah. And cleanliness. I would, I, I'm and scared. Josie's is not the place for No, that. I'm scared to see the bathroom at Josie's. It could be no worse than the bathrooms at 911, which is a dive bar in South Buffalo that has fantastic chicken wings. Uh, the men's room looks like Daniel Craig killed a guy in it. Um, have you ever been to the pink? N- well, not, you know, no. Okay. The pink probably has the worst and therefore the best bathroom <laughs> in the city of Buffalo. Uh, there's a trough urinal, stainless steel, uh, it's dilapidated. It doesn't flush. Um, there's a stall with no door. Um, for a little while there, there was no toilet. It was just a hole. There's a toilet now. Is but, it a nice toilet? Huh? Is that a nice toilet? It's, it's, it's a toilet. <laughs> and uh, the, the trough urinal, um, at some point, about, I don't know, four or five years ago, somebody must have fallen into it because now it's like... There's a huge indentation and it bends inward now. But the, but it does have running okay, so, water. So <laughs> take all that. Uh-huh. Take all that and condense it down to like maybe four feet by three feet. Okay. That's probably nine eleven's bathroom. All right. So Yeah, that's, that's probably Josie's bathroom then. Yep. So foggy uh, meets with Marcy because Foggy is still following up on Fisk. Now, she's disappointed that he's trying to show her files regarding what Fisk is up to because all Marcy wanted was to get some Marcy, booty. Marcy just wanted to, to get lost in the fog. Uh, oh. Oh. <laughs> like oh. Nice. She wanted to. Well, she does remark. The only reason she's going to look at those files because he was good. Yeah, Foggy is a. Uh... Is a talented man. He was and, a mighty duck, sir. And it, there you go. Emphasis he knows on the mighty. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> Do you have any idea what kind of conditioning you need to play hockey? He was a bash brother. It's see. <laughs> Cardio has got to be through the roof, son. <laughs> All right, so we flash over to Yurik and Karen. Uh, Karen's getting desperate. She is. She obviously, wants obviously because of what happened to her. She wants. That story out there, she thinks it'll afford her some level of protection. She she wants Fisk taken care of now. Yeah, she's getting she's going Veruca Salt on it now. I want it now. That's, that yeah, kind of like that. So Yurik still being like, you don't know how journalism works. I have to prove the story. I'm working on proving it, but I still have to prove it. Right. Um, but he does remark, uh. If if Karen publishes the story and someone digs digs into Karen, they're going to find some things out. Yes, and which brings us again. To, ben knows things about yes, Karen. They, they don't say what. They they do not. It wouldn't surprise me if they changed 
some aspects of her past. Because I'm like, I have an idea of the character's past from the comic books, yeah. but I might not know everything. Because I know when uh, Ben first investigated Karen, there was a brief flash of a newspaper article saying, you know, boy dies in accident with sister. So I don't know if that is from the comics. Well, I, Karen has a very sordid history. Yes. Uh, so we got the hard stuff line. Um, that hasn't necessarily taken place yet, but maybe she might be in recovery for all we know. Yeah. And, and again, on top of that, uh, I don't, I don't not, I mean, it hasn't happened in the show, so I'm not sure how much you want to know about the comics, but like, yeah, we don't want to spoil anything that we obviously know is going to come up in the show. Just yet. We don't know how old Karen is, but I, I think she's old enough to where there might have been a point in her life when she was younger and needed the money, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, a little uh, hint wink, but I'm sure we'll get to that as it comes. Dogs clearly want us to get to it now. But, of course, they always want us to get to it now. But again, we don't want to spoil it for the viewer who no. might not be familiar they can wait. with those comics. They All right, wait. so we are back at Josie's. Yes. Uh, Marcy's starting to see the truth. Yeah, she's 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 playing for the wrong team. Yeah, and Foggy wants her to like get out in front of any repercussions that may happen when all this stuff comes to light. Union allied, Fisk, all that stuff. Right. He, Foggy, basically remarks back to her, you know, you 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 do have a soul. Yeah, you, you weren't always like this. Right, right, right. You can. There's still come come back come back inside. It's warm in here. We have cookies. Was Marcy ever in the comics? To my knowledge, uh, no. But I be- could be wrong because I know for a time Foggy dated Liz Allen. Which is that ain't Marcy to the Spider-Man. She she dated ex Mrs. Green Goblin Jr. Um, <laughs> ah, comics for everybody is somebody's brother's cousin's uncle, father's brother's cousin's former roommate, or that. Cases. And what does that make us, Drew? Absolutely nothing. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Now, um, Ben or Matt goes on a stakeout in the daytime. Yes, he's um, tracking the courier. That's correct. And as soon as he picks up the courier, we move very quickly into runny, jumpy, flippy time. Well, because the courier got in the car. So what does Matt yeah. do? He takes to the rooftops, yeah, parkour style. Exactly. Yeah. I like how they filmed a lot of this because, like, a lot of times people think some stuff is in there just for flashiness where they might not, like, understand. Like, you can't. You can run and jump from one rooftop to another in New York City because buildings and Yeah, they're right on top are, of each other. Yeah, right on top of each other. But if there's if it's a point where like we've seen one thing in particularly here where he just makes the jump and then goes right into a roll. And I could see where people be like, Well why do you need to go in a roll? Because it, like, your momentum you carries need you to forward. Disperse that energy that's bringing you forward and right. going into the roll does that. Yep. It's kind of like when people complain about in swords when people are, like, spinning the sword for no reason. I'm like, you need to maintain a rhythm in a sword fight, and that kind of helps you do that. Sure, sure. So, but yeah, Matt's tracking the courier. The courier's in a car. He's tracking the music that's being played in the car, which is orchestral, seems to be classical. And then in a, in a video game-like moment, Matt learns the secret knock. Yes. Well, Matt's a, st- he's a stickler for details. And he finds the hideout, and there is a secret knock to get in the, into the door. Yep. So se- Not completely unlike the secret ending of Inside. <laughs> you gotta do the, the thing with the lever. I, I, oh, you figured, oh, you found it, huh? I didn't, I didn't do that. I finished the okay. game on regular, and I just like looked up what the secret ending was. Yes. 
We'll talk about that another time. Oh, Drew, why? What? I'm so confused and unnerved. I know. <laughs> I told you. It's weird. I, I was. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. We're, Big old blob of humanity. <laughs> so we uh, we cut to Fiskin's uh, mom. And he's taking his mom out of the city. I didn't sleep right that night, man. <laughs> I just didn't. It wasn't good. Oh man, yeah. I'm try- I'm still trying to put together what the meaning, yeah. but uh... okay. So Fisk is clearly has learned what like his mom was visited, and some information must have been given out. Right now, he doesn't know exactly who visited her. Right, he just knows that someone did. Yeah. Um. So he's taking mom out of the city. She doesn't want to leave that place. They gave her a slice, slice of Zupa. cake every night. Zupa. Zupa. And she says, I don't know a bit if they have Zupa in Italy. And he's like, they do. They it's do. The it's real. The, yeah. Yeah. Come on, Mom. Get with it. So Fisk is trying to find out who spoke to her. Uh, he's not having any luck. No. Because, again, Fisk's mom. Elevator doesn't go to the top floor mentally. <laughs> uh, Matt uh, takes a personal day. Yep. Uh, Karen and Ben seem to be getting closer to being able to put the story out there and back it up with facts. Uh, Matt is, we see, still not 100%. He's no. still nursing that, that side injury. Yeah. So, yeah, he's taking a personal day. Um, and then we cut to the daily bulletin. <laughs> you can say it. It's okay. I don't want to say it. Fair enough. I want to say daily bugle. So, so that's where Ben Yurick works. Not not, not here. Um, ben insists that they publish the story. Yes. He's even pushing. though it's ba- basically because he knows that the pressure's on. And he's pushing it to his editor, not J. Jonah Jameson. Right, right. And his editor says, no, it's crap. And you're garbage now. And yeah. you're suspended. And, and then ben escalates the situation. Ben takes it a little far. Yeah. Um, ben feels like a whore. Whore. Now that he's working for this trash paper, Shiny making a right. Whore. <laughs> Put your lipstick whore. on, whore. Um, and he goes on and says, how much is Fisk paying you? To prevent me from running this story. Too far, Ben. Too far. Yeah, that suspension. Nope. Don't worry about the suspension, Ben. You're fired. fired. Step Which... into my office. I, Why? Cause I can't say it on the show, but you're freaking fired. You're fired. That's right. <laughs> six minute abs. No, not six. Seven's a key number, man. <laughs> no, not seven. Six. No, it's seven minute abs. No, seven minute abs is the actual one. Six minute abs was a joke. That right, was... but that's why he says six, not six, seven. Seven's the key number. No, you're saying, you see, you're getting your joke switched. No. The original product that was out there was eight minute joke abs. Out. No, you're right. Okay. Yeah. No. Sir. Listen. S- sir. Listen. Iron Eagle, superior film. Oh, God. You're, you're, you're digging your own grave on that one, man. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm going to put. A pole out in the field. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the the voice of the people, and they're gonna tell you that Iron Eagle is a superior movie in Top Gun. Uh, uh, good luck with that. I, I will do it the day this episode posts. Okay, look for that on our Twitter. Just so you know, if you vote for Iron Eagle, you are wrong. You are right. I know I'm right. Okay, listen. So, if Iron Eagle wasn't a better movie, how come it spawned three sequels? Because to they Top needed Gun the money. Zero. Because Top Gun made all the money of all of those sequels in one shot. You don't make a sequel because you need money, sir. 
you make a sequel because you told a great story the first time around and you want to do it again. Now, did they do it again with Iron Eagle? No. But <laughs> still. Yeah. Iron Eagle 2 showed us that that Russia and America could work together. I, but Rocky Iron Eagle 4 already 3, showed us that. No, it shows us that they could fight and kill each other. No. Iron Eagle 3. Did you watch Rocky 4? Yes, I did. They make they kiss and make up at the end. After beating a jar to a bloody pulp and giving one of them severe brain damage. But only Rocky could unite them. Listen, Iron Eagle 3 showed us that World War II pilots can hold their own against modern J jet fighter pilots in World War II aircraft. <sighs> augmented with missiles. Yeah. They formed Superion. They fought Voltron. But you know what Top Gun taught us, though? That you can take six music videos and edit them together? No. What? She, She's lost that love and feeling. I hate it when she does that. <laughs> Where are we in the episode? I'm so lost. You know, I, just, we, I blacked Carl, out for Carl, a minute there. You know I blacked out for a minute there. Do you know where we are? Where are we, Drew? Danger Zone! That's where we are. That's where we are. Now you know. Okay, so Matt is checking out the H operation. Yes. He gets in Goes to the to uh, the heroin Gow's Lair. We see this uh, heroin being put in the packets, packets with the symbol on it yep. that we've commented on before. Why have we commented on that symbol, Drew? Um, well, it's vaguely reminiscent of something that we might see in a future Marvel show. <laughs> Which is Iron Fist. A little bit. Now, it's not the Iron Fist logo exactly, but, no, but it's from, in the ballpark. From what I remember from the uh, the little Iron Fist I have read, different fighters from Kun Moon have different emblems. Exactly. Now, the different realms have different fighters, and the different fighters have different emblems. Did you this yeah. particular emblem that's on the heroin packet? Um, I would have to look it up, but I feel like, yes, I did. Okay, so we'll see about getting that information. Yeah. Folks. All I can say is if they do the Iron Fist show, and if they go to Kunlun, Fat Cobra better be in there, and he better be (laughs) awesome. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Because Fat Cobra is amazing. The the long-lost lieutenant in the Cobra terrorist organization. Have you? Did you not? Read? Yeah, I read the the tournament trade. Oh so. man, he's amazing. I love him so much. So okay. Matt does the secret knock, and he's in, and the secret knock out of the, the door. Man, <laughs> see what I did there. Uh huh. Um, Matt starts clearing the room. Well, now, this, like I said about getting cutty, there's a lot of cutaways in this uh, this episode. So as Matt is investigating the uh, blind hero- heroin packers, um, we're back with Fisk. And he's meeting with uh, Owsley. Yes. While they're meeting, Wesley's phone rings because Fisk is hanging on to Wesley's phone. It rings, and he says, I have to go. And he, boom, he's gone. Owsley's standing there like, okay, well, I'm by myself again. Yep. So now we cut back to uh, the heroin lab, and uh, Matt Matt gets found out. Yes. And Gao calls on the blind couriers to attack Matt and the... In the kingdom of the blind, yeah, Matt's still getting you know gang tackled, but he does manage to get away. He does, and we see that Matt, while not still one hundred percent, is definitely back in fighting form. Yeah, but there's a, someone else who's also in fighting form. Well, after Matt takes out a couple of goons with machine guns who can't aim very well, um, Madame Gao steps up. 
And she takes him down with one punch. Yeah, she um she she sends him kind of flying. Yeah. So she's obviously not quite what she seems. No. And she also remarks something about your world, implying that she <laughs> is not of this world. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which gets alluded to later. But she escapes. Yep. And, Matt and Matt has to uh, put out a fire, and he tells the uh, captors of these servants, get these get people it, get out of here. here. And then he gets quickly cornered by Mahoney, not of Police Academy. Oh, that would, that would be amazing. <laughs> the Goot's going to be at Comic-Con. So I saw. The Goot. Yeah, I, I know. But, you know, I could ask him what Johnny Five's like in real life. That's true. That is that, true. Yeah, you could be cool. You know what you should do? Bring him like a RoboCop action figure and ask him to sign your Johnny Five action figure. That makes me look like that. But then I'm an idiot. But it's still funny. How do I belittle Steve Gutenberg? It's still funny. I should bring him a copy of Don't Tell Her It's Me. Can you sign this for me? <laughs> oh, that's... Can you sign it, Lobo? Oh, jeez. That's... Oh, man. <laughs> We we gotta move. This episode's going. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So we have a meeting between Gao and Owsley. That's correct. Gao. Well, first, as Matt Matt does get busted by Officer Mahoney, and he tells and he escapes, but he says those cops were dirty, and Fisk owns half your department. I'm not the bad. I'm guy. not the bad guy. The then bad he gets guy. away. Yeah. Now Gao and Gao and Owsley. Spoilers. I I did not see this coming. Owsley, we knew was involved in the poisoning. Yeah. But so was Gao. Yeah. I did not see that coming. I thought I, she was above that. But she did warn him. Yeah. Fate will choose for you. That's correct. And Gao has dropped the illusion she can't speak English yep. to Owsley now. Yep. No need. And Gao has, is just like kind of like in the old, in any modern casino movie, when you see a dealer leaving the table, she's kind of, you know, <laughs> doing the hand flippy thingy saying, I'm done. Uh-huh. I'm out. I'm going to go to my homeland and reflect on the future. Yep. And Owsley says, China? A considerable distance further, as she so remarks. So the assumption is that Madame Gao is, in fact, from Kunlun, the mystical land that we will Maybe. most likely see in Iron Fist. Yeah? I, well, I'd hope so. It's kind of important yep. to the character. <laughs> okay. So uh, we're back at the hospital. Yurik is visiting with his wife again. We'll just uh, shoot, I got, shoot to I, this. I got fired. Yeah, it was a bad day. But you know what? She's happy for him. Yeah, Yurik walks into the room kind of on his ass, and once again, his wife picks him up, dusts him off, and says, you're Ben friggin' Yurik. Go tell your story. To the internet! To the interwebs! Uh, Matt goes back to the office, and um, he breaks down. He does. He's kind of starting to maybe give in to Stick's philosophy. But at the same time, he's not a personality that can do something like this alone. No, which he, he says outright. Stick, yeah. my friend, wanted, but, well, he doesn't tell Karen so much about Stick, but he says the person that, I, have, I had a person that told me that I could only do the things I had to do if I shoved everybody away. Yeah. But I can't. Yeah. Matt, can't do this alone. I think this is the moment where Matt truly embraces the life of Matt Murdock and the life of Daredevil consequences be damned yes he's like i'm going to find a way to do this my way yeah it's not working out so well just yet karen tells him uh you're not alone here we go now we go to yurik's apartment 
Yeah, yeah. Now, a couple of remarks about this. He start, he's going to start writing. going to start cranking yep. out that yeah, blog. Put, put that story on the got blog. BenUrich.blogpost.com. Are blogs still a thing? Yeah, they're still a thing. Okay, just checking. Yeah. Um, to get started, he pours himself some whiskey. What's with the people in the whiskey in this show, man? Listen, Hell's Kitchen is like, you know... Maybe predominantly Irish neighborhood. I mean, when I try to do stuff that's like creative, I I don't I try to be clear headed if I can be. Yeah, yeah. Well, some people are more creative under the influence. Some would argue some of the best music is written by people that are on yeah. many influences, yeah. and then once they get cleaned up, they suck. <laughs> I don't necessarily believe that, but there's you know there's there's some yeah, credence yeah. there. Um, so he's gonna Ben's, start writing and uh, spoilers. Got he's got a visitor. He's got a visitor. It's Fisk. And they have a little chat. Yep. And uh, it's all going pretty smoothly. Yep. Up until um, Fisk remarks, were you alone when you spoke to my mother? To Ben's credit, he says, yes. So Karen it is in the clear. Way. Yes. Yeah. Correct. But Fisk cannot forgive bringing his yeah. mother into this. Fisk, uh, ben kind of thinks Fisk is just trying to intimidate Unfortunately not. No. Fisk is on top of Ben and strangles him to death. Now. Shocker. Yes. Because, folks, if you read Daredevil, the comic book, which I recommend that you do, go back into, you know, the archives and pull out the Bendis and the, and the Miller and the Brubaker and all Kevin the good Smith. stuff and Kevin Smith, David Mack to an extent, um, and more. I'm not going to shortchange the 80s guys uh, and 90s to a lesser extent. <laughs> Ben Urich is a very important character. Yes. And, and he is unceremoniously killed here. And still to this day in the comic books is alive and kicking. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't like that they killed Ben only because I liked the character of Ben so much. Yeah. It needed to be done. It was good that they did it because it shows not so much the casual viewers who are discovering Daredevil for the first time through the show, but those of us who have read the comic books it shows us that everyone you think may be safe is not necessarily right. safe. You got to keep people on their toes. You, they there has to be consequences. Yes, they established consequences and dramatic tension with killing off Ben. Yeah. So it was shocking, but I agreed with the decision. Shocking. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it, even though if I'm bummed out about it because I thought the guy did a great job playing him. I liked the character a lot. Um, but yeah, it had. I don't, I'm not going to say it had to be done, but. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with it being done because it no, adds all it was that done weight. Done very well. Unlike say Jimmy Olsen in Batman versus Superman, who gets unceremoniously shot in the face without a second mention, because bro, I'm not going <laughs> to use him anyway. So just shoot him in the <laughs> Jimmy face. Jimmy Olsen, who cares? It'll be funny, right? I'm so sick, bro. <laughs> so sick. God, we have a new character. Thanks, Zach. There. Thanks, buddy. Oh man, so that wraps it up for. Episode 12. One Daredevil. to go. One to go. We got the finale to go, and then we're going we're gonna to do some fun one-off shows. For yeah. Any parting thoughts on this episode, Drew? <sighs> Bye, Ben. Yep. If you would like to send your condolences to Ben Europe <laughs> com, we will definitely communicate them to his family. You can do so on Twitter at Devil's Due Pod. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Devil's Due. Or you can email us your questions or condolences for the Yurik family 
at the devil's do pod at gmail.com. That brings another exciting episode of devil's do to a close. Ladies and gentlemen, courts adjourned. Courts adjourned.